All right, well, I want to continuing on and potentially finishing off. You know, it's been really, really neat to see uh, when we kind of started the series. I don't know, maybe from your lens, you kind of have a different perspective. But for, for me personally, because uh, we had kind of had an idea of what we kind of felt in our heart to kind of start talking about. And it's been weekly that the Lord has not necessarily changed, but directed us to talk specifically on certain subjects or situations just to build us and strengthen us for the future. And I believe like what we've been doing the last couple, about eight weeks now, has been strong foundation and the importance of a strong foundation and to take the time to analyze and to critique and to look inside of ourselves to make sure that we have a solid foundation because of the days ahead. I mean, you know, remember, we don't build for sunny days. We build our life for the trials and the situations and problems that come our way. And that's what the Lord commanded us to do. And so we're just taking this time. Again, like 2 Corinthians 13 even tells us, he's like, test yourselves to make sure that you are living in the faith. That's vital for us, right, to make sure that we're doing this. And, you know, if you actually even read some, a lot of the New Testament writers, and Jude, for example, too, uh, the, the, uh, Jude, he said the importance of now we actually have to contend for the faith because there have been those that have left and have actually just started preaching a completely different gospel. And, how I mean, you know, we are seeing tremendous amounts of that taking place in this day and age that we're in now. So it's so important, like what we talked last week, to continue to, to follow him, continue in the word, continue in those things which you've been taught. It's crucial for us to have a solid foundation as we advance. Because listen, in the world, it will get darker and darker. But for us as the church, it gets brighter. And the way it's brighter, it's not just a nice Christian saying, we're going to stay bright. It's intentional brightness, and that is because you and I have gotten planted in the Word of God, and so therefore we're seeing results from the Word. Amen? Okay, so let's go into your Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 again. And I want to show you from the Passion Bible these words of Jesus. Ding. Everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life is, can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation unshakable foundation, meaning it cannot move. It's not moving, ain't going nowhere. Then he says, when the rains flood, or when the rains fell and the flood came with fierce winds beating upon his house, it stood firm. Can we say that together? It stood firm. Why? Because of its strong foundation. Okay, 26. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained and the flood came, and wind and waves beating upon his house, and notice these two words, it collapsed and it was swept away. So you and I are on either one of these two areas. We are either building our life on a solid foundation, which again is intentional, it takes time, or on the other hand, you're just kind of living your life and no matter what comes your way, depending on the, the storm of what it's like, it has the potential to take you out. Every human being, Jesus categorizing this, you're either on a firm foundation or you are on no foundation. You pick. Anybody want to choose a strong foundation? That's, that's what I want to look for. So now what does that require? Now there's some required things required of us as believers as we serve the Lord. I mean, you didn't just you know, sign up for like a, a little club and you get your you know, email once a month about some deals. When you, when, you, when you go to Jesus, he chose you. You've responded to his choosing you. Now there comes a part where you have to get intentional about this. And this is what he's talking about in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. Now, the question I want to ask is, why did the house stand? Look at this again. Uh, Go to verse 25. Why did the house stand? Because of its foundation. So it's not because of the materials that I use to make me look good. Right? God's God's going to get all the glory. If I have any fruitfulness of my life, if I'm getting any results from the Word of God, it is not based on how wonderful I am, how smart I am, how good I could bust out a prayer. It is all because of the rock, the foundation that I'm on. Doesn't matter how nice it looks on the outside, the type of drywall, the type of paint you use, none of that. It has everything to do with the foundation for which you and I are building our life on, right? Now, what made this man wise according to Jesus is that he took the time to dig deep. Everybody say, dig deep. He dug and went deep so that he could secure himself to the foundation. So the foundation, like I want you to kind of envision, you're standing on a big dirt pile. There is a foundation that's underneath this dirt, but to get to it, you're going to have to dig a little bit. You're going to have to get secure. You're going to have to find this foundation that is already laid so that you and I can build our lives thereupon. It's already there, but you got to take the time. Are you willing to take the time to do this? 
That's the, that's the question we're asking. Because just because I'm a Christian, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, does not mean that you are building yourself up for a solid foundation. Yes, you, you are going to heaven. That's, that's great. Heaven came on the inside of you. That's wonderful. But that does not mean you are building your life or you are built on a solid foundation. That means you've accepted the chief cornerstone, which is rock on. But now what? Now how do I do my life? And this is what I want to call the great exchange has to take place. So Romans chapter 12, I want you to turn there for a moment. Because this is the message to the church. When you've accepted Jesus, or before you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what is our message as believers? What is our message to the world? You must be, come on, say it with me. You must be born again. That is our message. And it's the goodness of God, the love of God that brings people to repentance. It's you and I preaching the gospel of Jesus and the substitution work of what he did on that cross. He took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and he traded it and gave me his righteousness. That's the love that we share with the world. But now to the church, because when you came in now to the church, you've accepted Jesus now as your Lord and Savior. You switch kingdoms. You're out of darkness now into the kingdom of his dear son. Now there's a new way of living. There's a new way of thinking. There's a new, op- a new way of operating. There's a new culture that came in place, and we've got to learn to live by it. So the message to the church now is you've got to change the way you think. Because your thinking is now it's what's holding you back from experiencing or seeing the results that God intended you to bear in this life. Right? So the world, world is, you must be born again. To the church, come on, y'all, what are we doing? Changing our thinking. Stinking thinking. It's got to change. It's got to change. Now let's look at this real quick. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. He says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. I'll just pause there for a moment. If you read Romans chapter 11, you'll find out that it's the goodness of God, his mercy, his kindness, that he actually grafted us Gentiles. That's who we were to the Jews. We were outsiders. We were those that didn't belong to the covenant that God had with the Jews. We were totally outside, yet God, in his goodness, he actually grafted us in. So you weren't supposed to be involved in any of this, but we, because of God's goodness, came in because he wanted us to be part of it. You, a Gentile, means un-Jew. <laughs> and he brought you in. So the apostle is saying this, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Come on, say it with me, give. Give it to him. Because of why? All that he's done for you. Now, he says, let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he finds acceptable, Because, again, this is the only way to truly worship him. Then verse 2, he says, Don't copy the behavior or the customs of this world, but let God. Again, you see that word, let God. You have to allow God. Let God transform you. How? By changing the way that you think. Now, how do I let God? Well, it's the same way, for example, if you're... Any suntanners out in the the crowd? Mac? Good. Anybody else that would, like, dare to raise their hands? Yeah, I like to suntan yeah, yeah. Anybody get anywhere with it? I mean, we're just white for so long that it's hard to get a tan. Now, but what do we do? It's not that I tan myself. What do I do? I expose myself to the sun, and the sun's because of its rays and what it gives off, my body gets tanned. So I don't tan me. What tans me? The sun. So I'm going to go tan. Well, you don't do anything. You lay there, and you expose yourself to the sun, and the sun with his rays comes, and again, it tans your body. Now, it's the same way with the Word of God. How do I let God transform me? I let God transform me by simply, kind of what you're even doing today, is you're giving God access. God needs something to work with, and the way that He operates and works with is His Word. So again, if I'm, giving, if I'm exposing myself to the Word, meaning if I'm opening up, I'm spending time in this Word, this is giving God an opportunity now to work on my behalf and start to transform me by changing the way that I think. Now, we call this, I like to call it anyway, the Great Exchange. Before I go into that, let me just bring it out this way. Changing the way that you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, I want you to see within this verse right here, to the degree that my mind is renewed by the word of God is the degree that I'm actually carrying out and living out God's good, pleasing, or perfect plan. Everybody wants, I want to operate in God's perfect plan. Awesome. Guess what that's going to require? A lot of exchange. If you want to see, I want to, I want to go all in. I want to experience everything that God's got for me. Great. 
how far, how, how well are you in, in regards to allowing the word to change the way that you think? Because I'm capped by my own thinking to the will of God. If I'm not unwilling to change the way that I think, I'll be stuck. And this is sad to see, but I've seen people stay year after year, month after month. They are constantly the same. Why? Because their thinking hasn't changed. They're stuck. Well, how do I go to the next level? Change. It's got to change. And I'm not talking about I got to have like this, you know, um, self-help book and all that. I need to expose myself to the word of God so that I can start thinking like him. Because that's what's capping the Christian. That's what's capping the church is that people are thinking too much like the world. And that's what he says. Don't copy it. Don't think like them. Don't, don't operate in their type of ways of doing. So what do I need to do? I need to take this exchange. So I want you just to imagine for here. Here's, here's like a journal that I got here. And in this journal are all my thoughts concerning my money, concerning health, concerning relationships, concerning marriage, concerning raising children, concerning whatever. Sex, even. Just to wake you up a little bit. There's the S word. Sex. Just throw it out there. This is what I think about it. Now that I become a Christian... What do I need to do? I now have to go to what does God think about this? And let's just throw, for example, money on the table for a sec, because people get real funny with that. So here's my thinking with money. So here it is up up here. This is my thought. Now I'm going to take, God, what do you think about this? And let's just say it doesn't line up. Which one has to go? I know it's easy just to go, my, this, my, my agenda, my thinking of it has to go. That's where the rubber meets the road. Are you willing to have a different thought? Because this is the, well, money is being the most sensitive one because people are mostly offended by money. Can we say money? Okay, we're okay. I just didn't know if we're allowed to say the M word here. Money, we're okay with this, this is what it is. And that's where people get the most funny, kind of weird and funny with. And simply this, if you can bring your thoughts about money up to God and you say, okay, God, what do you think about this? And now if it doesn't line up, Lord, I'm willing to change the way I think about money. And if you're willing, guess what? You can put that aside and say, I'm going to adopt. I'm going to take your view of money and I'm now going to live my life out according to what you've done. What you've just done is you just dug deep and you've laid yourself on a solid foundation for which you stand. This is what we're doing. This is the whole great exchange. You do that for every area of your life. You do that for marriage. You do that for how do I raise a family? God, what do you say? Not do I'm just looking for the popular opinion of today. God, what do you say from your word? And that's where the great exchange takes place. That makes sense? Okay. Now let's look here again at the other guy. So why did the other guy's house collapse? Because of the foundation or lack thereof that he was building his life on. Now a lot of times, listen, there is, Jesus even talked about in John 15 that he said, I am the, uh, I'm the true vine. So listen, there are many other types of vines that are out there all trying to get your attention and try to get you to build your life upon it. Now here's one of the biggest problems that you see out in the world is that there's a lot of people that know a lot of things just about the wrong stuff. Anybody, anybody ever seen that before? They know so much, but it's about something that doesn't matter at all. And so what Jesus is telling us, he said, the problem with this other guy is, is that he's building his life, but there's either no foundation, he's not intentional about life, or he's building on the wrong places. And that's the problem. Every word that has gone out there, every word is not without significance. There's a motive and a, pers- a purpose behind every media post, behind every speech that's being given. It's trying to form the way that you think. So again, to the degree that my, my heart and my mind is connected to the word, it's easy to, to be deceived unless I know what this word says. I have to know what this says. Because if I don't, I'll just go to the next person that has a good speech and go, hey, that, that sounds about right. But does it line up with the book? Because if not, I have to get rid of it. Okay. Now, what made this man a fool according to Jesus? Again, he refused to exchange his thoughts for God's thoughts, leaving him with no concrete way to whatever came his way, no matter what happened his way. That was the, that what made him a fool. That's what makes him a fool. What makes you a fool is not hearing his word, or applying his word into your life. Jesus said, you're a fool. Amen. Let's go for a run on that one. That's, that's the reality. That's the truth. So who are we, church? We are people who hear the message, hear the word, and then we apply the word by digging deep. 
It's not just, oh, I heard a message, that was really good. I need to take it. I need to now go, what do I actually think about this situation? Because again, this is what we're seeing in culture in today's world, is that there's so many opinions out there, but we don't take the time to actually think it through and find out what does God say about this. And I'll build a life on. So what I want to share with you today, I want to go one more continue. What we've been discussing the last week was continuing. I listed those three things. Now this morning, I want to do one more, I believe, as the Lord leads. But we want to continue in his love. Now, if you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's cute. That sounds good. This, this will has the opportunity to radically change the way you and I live. Now, I want you to look in John 15, 9. But the Bible tells us, Jesus' own words, he says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide, other translations say, continue in my love. Can you say that with me? Continue in my love. The New Living Translation says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. He says now, remain. Everybody say remain. Remain Remain in my love. Remain means don't leave. Don't get out of it. Don't do your own thing. Stay here. Sit. Good boy. Okay. Lastly, I want to show you the Passion Bible, verse 9 again. It says, I love each of you. This is Jesus talking. He says, I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. So now he says, you must. Can you say that with me? You must. Something that's not an option. You must do what? Continually let my love nourish your heart. Now Why? Because again, my, when a situation or a problem comes my way, a trial hits me that I, man, I was caught off guard. My love for God doesn't sustain me. His love for me sustains me. So I need to be rooted and grounded in this love again for the very purpose of this. If I'm rooted and grounded in this love, I'm going to act, respond, think, speak, do everything from this perspective. Because what's going wrong out here is that everything that's out going on in the world right now, there's a lot of chaos out there, and it's trying to unplug you or unroot you from this position of love. So we've got to stay put. Okay, now let's look at this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. This is my firm foundation. I am loved. Can you say it with me? What's your foundation? I am loved. By who? By God. God himself loves me. Now, we've heard that, but have you dug deep to the place of you've heard it? Because when you hear it, it changes everything. It absolutely does. Now, I want you to look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. The Holy Spirit, again, through the apostle John, he says, Look with wonder. King James Version, a new King James, that says, Behold. They say, Behold. He's trying to grab your attention. Look! He says, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he lavished on us. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get your your lights going off. Look, 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 look. Pay, stay attention here. Don't get off of this. I'm supposed to continually look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that which he has for me. This is how I'm supposed to look. This is where I'm supposed to keep my eyes on. Because again, whatever I'm looking at is what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, and ultimately what I'm going to be doing in my life. He's saying, look here and don't get your eyes off it. Keep it at the center of your heart. Why? Jesus said, you must continually let my love nourish your heart. So we're going to get into this this morning. Sounds okay? Okay. Now, 1 John 3, 16, look a couple verses down. I want you to see this again. So the whole purpose of this is to look. So we're going to just take some time this morning to look. Is that okay? Look. But say, look, you got to look, you got to see it. Because when you see it, you see it. Now he's saying, look, and again, I love the verbs that the Passion Bible brings out. He says, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he lavishes on us. But I want you just to think, like you're standing under a waterfall, and what does that water keep doing? It just keeps hitting you. That's another form of lavishing. It just keeps going. It doesn't stop because there's an endless supply of water back there that just keeps coming, keeps pouring. Well, this is what... The Holy Spirit is trying to get to our intention. Look with wonder because it lavishes on us. It doesn't stop because God doesn't know how to stop. You know what it says about you in Psalm 139? That the, every sand, he said, if I could count all the, the pebbles of sand on the seashore, that's how many thoughts you have about me. <laughs> Anybody play golf before? How many times have you been in that sand pit? <laughs> many times. And every time I get in there, I thank God because it's not, 
I have to get my eyes off of how bad my game is, and I go, look at all this beautiful sand. These are all these pieces of sand is God's thoughts about me. And I'll stay in here again. That's great. <laughs> but this is, what, uh, this is how much lavish that he just continually dwells and gives us over. Now, 1 John 3.16, it says this. We know. Or say, we know. What real love is. What is real love? It's not pizza. It's not my motorbike. It's not a car. It's, it's what is real love? Real love is this. Jesus gave up. His life for me. Jesus, say that with me. Jesus gave up his life for me. You know, sometimes we even think regarding the love of God is that when I've accepted Jesus, that's when I experienced the love of God. It was amazing. Remember, remember when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and how overwhelmed you were by, man, his love, his kindness, his mercy? Well, did you know that it didn't stop when you got born again? It's supposed to progressively become not necessarily stronger, but you become more aware of it in a greater sense. You are now his child. I didn't just love my kids when they were first born and go, oh, that's, I, I loved you, that's it. Now it's progressive. Now it continues to go on. Now I continue to, we learn each other in different ways. It continues to grow. God's not just done with you. He says, look with wonder now at the depth of this thing. What is real love? Jesus gave up his life for me. Why did he give it up? Because I was in big trouble. Anybody else in big trouble? We were all in big trouble. And in Romans chapter 5, I want you to see this. Let's turn here because, again, we're looking with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us and he continues to lavish. Lavish doesn't mean past tense. It means continuous. It's continuous. God is kind but I want you to look at this. Romans chapter 5, 6. This lays it out so beautifully. He says, For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for who? Sinners. For sinners who were entirely helpless, who were entirely weak, and powerless to save themselves. Verse 2, or 7, sorry. Now, who one of us, who would any... Uh, no, I'm reading the wrong one. Sorry, guys. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? Would anybody be willing to die for a wicked person here? I'll just define it. Let's kind of just narrow it in a little bit based on Acts and what we've seen. Adolf Hitler. Would anybody be willing to die for Adolf Hitler? Would anybody willing to Saddam Hussein? Osama bin Laden? Would it even be a thought to you? No. Okay. What about we could all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person? Would anybody die for Julian Price? Yeah. <laughs> There's one. All right. <laughs> we can have a deep. Yeah, I, I could see. I, yeah, I, I, maybe. Depends. Okay, but now look at verse 8. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were lost and ungodly. So did you know who Jesus died for? Those names that I just mentioned. Adolf Hitler. Did God love him? Absolutely. With an unrelenting passion for him. Osama bin Laden. Did God love him? With an unrelenting passion. Will his love ever change? No. It just was never experienced or never received. Love needs a recipient. It, it's just, it goes out there, absolutely, but it's not going to force you to love him back. It's going to be thrown out there, but he needs a recipient. And that's why even Jesus gives us the command, continually let my love nourish your hearts. So even if you've experienced it, if you are not caught up with it, you're now still limiting yourself. Now, let me continue reading on here. Verse 9, there is still so much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, now I want you to see what the love of God did. Number one, we already said that Jesus came at the right time and he died to demonstrate his love for who? Sinners. Everybody say sinners. So did Jesus die for sinners that we're seeing today? Yes. Does he love them today? Yes. Will that ever change? What if they pass a bunch of stupid laws that go against them? Does his love change? No. He's unrelenting in it. Okay. Next we said that... Um, 
Oh, here, this is verse 9. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love, for through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration. What's the powerful declaration? You are now righteous in my sight. Now, how many of you have heard that? Now, I'm not talking about just reading it in your Bibles and, oh, yeah, that's good. How many of you heard that powerful declaration spoken to you? I remember the first time that I heard it, it radically changed my life. It wasn't that I heard necessarily a preacher say it that got me. I remember I was alone, probably in the back over there, and I was just just worshiping the Lord, and I heard that on the inside. I find no fault in you. And it, oh, oh, man, are you kidding me? It changes everything. But this is where he's telling us, this is my firm foundation. So rather than hearing God loves me, oh, yeah, I've heard that. That's good. Now he tells us we are supposed to get rooted and grounded, dig deep into this. If I have to bring some thoughts, if I'm looking at, well, God loves me when I go to church, or God loves me when I do Christian things, God loves me when I perform a certain way, or when I behave a certain way. If I'm capping that or limiting that, listen, you've got a very shallow relationship with the Lord. It is very shallow because it's based now on what you do or don't do. So he's saying this, is that you got to get rooted and grounded into this love to the point where all of a sudden you're meditating, thinking on it, that you hear this powerful declaration come, you are now righteous in my eyes. Why could Jesus operate the way that he operated? Do you know why? He heard the Father say at his baptism, this is my beloved Son. In him, I am well pleased. Did Jesus do anything yet? He didn't perform any miracles. He didn't do nothing. He did nothing for 30 years. And all of a sudden, he shows up at his baptism, gets baptized, comes out, and now the heavens, it says it tore open. It's literally the same work that you would see when the rocks split open at the grave. Heaven opened up, and he said, this is my son, and him I'm well pleased. What did that do to him? Makes you stand up with your chest back and go, hey, yeah, let's do this thing. There's so much power in hearing these words. Because what is the number one thing that people hear and the people that deal with things is shame, condemnation, guilt, things I wish I would have done, I didn't do. It's so much of that. But you know what sets people free? You are now righteous in my eyes. Rather than being so conscious of my mistakes, so conscious of what I did or didn't do, my past mistakes, the mistakes I made yesterday, all of this, he's trying to get you to think differently, trying to get you again, oh, this is God, this is what I've done. You need to exchange that to the point where you now hear, I find no fault in you. Because when you hear that, and until you hear that, you can't actually be a proper son or daughter. And just even thinking for my own kids, if, I had to, if they were constantly aware of the mistakes that they made, rather than me affirming them and telling them, hey, I find no fault in you, son. It changes the way that they even live in my home. When they make a mistake and they know it, there's just that embarrassment or that shame. And they actually, they try to get away from me. It's horrible. It's just what Adam did at the Garden of Eden, Right? But now when I came in there, buddy, come on in here. I love you. I'm not mad at you. Let's talk about, let's look at this thing. And after we go through the whole correction period, maybe there's a spanking included. We go through the whole period. Now I look at him and say, Jace or Max or London, I find no fault in you. What do we do? Okay, move on. It's done. This is what the Father is saying to us. But we got to get it. He says, look at this. Because again, until I see it, I cannot demonstrate it. Okay. Now, verse, where am I still there? And not only this, so I've been declared righteous in his sight. And now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, now notice the next thing what his love does. You will never, say never, Never. like you're happy about it, never Never. experience the wrath of God. Woo! That's a good thing because, yeah, you were saved to God, but here's the other side. You were saved from him. (laughs) You do not want to be on God's bad side. When it comes to the day of wrath. Because listen, there is a day, the Bible tells us, a day of wrath coming, a day of judgment that's on its way. And it's not that God hates people. He hates sin. He absolutely hates sin. He loves people. He hates sin. So this is just as much as we know God is love, God is good, God is faithful. Absolutely. But don't forget the other side, that God is a righteous judge. And he will fix everything that we've messed up. He'll fix it. He'll make sure that it's done. But I want you just to see, but because of Jesus and his love for us, dying at the right time, guess what? I, Joel Housing, thank God, will never see or experience the wrath of God. (laughs) See, when you just spend some time just looking at the depths of wonder at his marvelous love, 
I'm never going to experience his wrath. Say that with me. I will never experience his wrath. How does that make you feel? Whoo. Whoo. Can you say that? Whoo. <laughs> okay, look at verse 10. It just keeps, he just keeps getting gooder. So look at verse 10 here. It says, so if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. And now something greater than friendship is ours. Guys, can you turn with me? Because I'm trying to keep up. Click with me, guys, downstairs. Something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? Did you guys hear that one part there? Okay, you guys go to verse 10. There it is. While we were still his enemies, he reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Something greater than friendship is ours. We are at peace with God. How many think, well, that I even have peace with God? There's peace there. And because now I share his resurrection life, again, I have resurrection life. Resurrection life doesn't mean I live forever. Resurrection life means quality of life. Every human being is going to live forever. There's no end to human beings. You're conceived, you are going to live forever. Now, the choice where you live determines on the choices that you make. Or not choices, the choice that you make of Jesus or not. That's totally up to you. But he's saying this, I have peace with God, I have resurrection life. Where is resurrection life? Come on, right? It's right here. I'm not waiting for it to come to me. Where is it? Come on, church, we got to get our thinking straight here. Where is the resurrection life? This is why church is boring to so many people. It's just, oh, sometime it's all out there. No, Jesus came to take care of the thing now. Resurrection life is here now. What is it waiting for? My response. It's waiting for me to take a move. So I have the resurrection life. And he says, how much more then will I be rescued from sin's dominion? You're rescued from it. Because again, if, if I have to wait till all of a sudden till I die before I get free from any kind of addiction, then Jesus isn't Lord. He just simply Savior, and then death is my Lord now. But aren't you thankful that I don't have to wait for death to kind of all of a sudden get out of a habit or get out of a certain lifestyle? I can simply receive, see the love of God, and the love of God finding no fault in me changes everything about my life. I don't want to do the things that I used to do anymore. Why? Because he finds no fault in me. That's what changes it. It's not me, a behavior modification where I have to be better, look better, do better, speak better, think better, act better, and all these types of betters. When in fact, it's when I see, oh, now it changes me. So I don't think that I'm a sinner anymore. Why? Because he finds no fault in me. So it'd be stupid for me to say, oh man, I keep messing up. I'm just a guy that messes up constantly. You'll never hear those words out of my my mouth. Why? Because he finds no fault in me. I heard it. It changes everything. Oh, man. So I'm not a porn addict. I'm not a sex addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug dealer. I don't need all any of these things. Why? Because he finds no fault in me. Oh, man. See, what we've done in the world, or I guess even in church life and things, is that we magnify, we make something big that God sees little. And whatever God sees as big, we view as Little. For example, these words that I'm just reading to you, we kind of read and go, yeah, that's nice, but I have real problems. I'm a, I'm a real messer up, or I've done this, I've done that. No, 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 no. You then are, de- or how do you rate that? Demagnifying, making little of, making less of what Jesus did at the cross. If he finds no fault in you, when are you going to believe that? Because until you believe that, it's going to be very tough being a Christian. In fact, you really can't do much witnessing because you are living under your own shame and guilt condemnation, things that I wish I wouldn't have done. Listen, we all have that, but have you heard the words, I find no fault in you? Because it changes your life forever. Okay. And then he says, even more than that, so all all the things that we've just listed off and read in Romans chapter 5, he says, even more than all those things, that I'm I'm not going to experience the wrath of God. He finds no fault in me. I'm free from sin's dominion. Jesus died for the ungodly. He says, even more than all of those things, he says, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God all because of Jesus. What can I do? I now, yes, I have all those amazing things. Now I'm supposed to look with wonder that God Almighty, the one who just, man, does this and a star is born spoke this entire globe into existence, and now also maintains this entire globe by the word of his power? 
He wants me to call him dad. He's saying, of all these things that you hear, don't forget about all this. You can call him the Hebrew, or sorry, the Greek says Abba, which means Papa. It's the most endearment, most close title that you can say to anybody. Father, Daddy, and that's what I can call him. Why? Because of why? All because of what Jesus has done for us. So this is what the Bible is telling us is we got to get rooted and we got to get grounded in this. So now after hearing all of these things, hearing these amazing truths of the word of God, what do I do with it? I have to continually nourish my heart in these realities. I have to dig deep in them. Let's go Ephesians 3.17. I want you to see this. This is the prayer that the Holy Spirit again through the Apostle Paul. He says, I want you, may Christ through your faith dwell, settle down, abide. Make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be, say it with me, rooted. Come on, roots. Rooted. And deep in love. And where founded securely on love. You know, just a, a, an example that I've used many times for this was, you know, when Jamie and I, when we first got married, we had the opportunity to go to Hawaii for our honeymoon. And because my mom gave Jamie a bunch of books, that means I had a lot of spare time on my hands. So I didn't have the honeymoon that y'all think we should be having because my wife is reading books, which is whatever. So then even we go to the beach, Jamie whips out another book and she says, just go find somebody to play with. So there goes Joel trawling off to the beach looking for a friend. Well, we got to Big Beach in Maui. Anybody ever been to Big Beach? Now at Big Beach, there are some big waves. Now I remember I was talking to a guy, I think he was from Chicago. We were just kind of standing, just chatting a little bit because I'm on my honeymoon, so I'm going to make a friend. And we are... While he, we were just kind of chatting, I was just kind of doing this like kind of in the water, and I was digging my feet into the sand. And the more and more that I got that, I actually got just underneath my knees. And at that time, these waves started rolling in a little bit more, and not even realizing it, but soon all of a sudden, oh, shh, like, trying to get out of this thing. Buddy's just laughing. He ain't helping me. He's just, yeah, have a good day, man. See you later. And meanwhile, I'm trying to get out of this thing. But all of a sudden, this wave comes, and bam. But again, I'm, my legs are still coming, so what happens? I just, oh. Come right back up. All of a sudden, bam, another wave comes. I think I got a couple bloody noses in that. and Boom, you just come right back up. But what I want you to see is, because I was so rooted and grounded in sand, I was unmoving. I was unshaking. Now, this ought to be the love of God, that I get so deep-rooted in this love of God, that no matter what tidal wave, no matter what problem comes my way, no matter what they do externally, boom, I just come right back up. Why? Because I'm so rooted. You aren't going to shake me. You aren't going to get me off of this place because I'm rooted and I'm grounded in how much I am loved by God. So what is the Bible telling us? Get rooted in it. Get grounded in it. Don't let it just be a nice Christian thing. Oh yeah, God is love and God is just, he just loves people. That's good. But have you gotten deeper in it to the point that no matter what comes my way, the first thought is he loves me. You lost your job. He loves me. My, 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 my spouse left me. He loves me. My kids are doing this. He loves me. Sickness tries to attach itself to my body. He loves me. COVID is going to last another five years. He loves me. You got to get to that point that nothing is shaking me out here. Because as long as every detail that out here is going to keep shaking me, guess what? I'm just simply reacting now to everything that goes on. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is telling us, Look! Look! Look at what? With wonder at the depth of the Father's love. I don't need to see it out here. I can experience it right in my own home, right in my own self. I can see and experience the love of God. And he's saying, this is what I got to get rooted in, not what's going on out there. I don't need a certain political party to be in office to be okay. I don't need them to change the rules so that I'll be okay. Come on, somebody. I am okay with whatever happens out here. Why? Because I'm rooted and I'm grounded in how much I am loved by God. This is my stance. This is where I stay. This is where I stay put. I don't move from this place. And when I get rooted, here's even not only that blessing for me, but it'll be a blessing to others around you. As I'm getting rooted and grounded, if they say something to me, I don't have to respond and react sharply. I can just stay put. And now I respond and I speak from this place. How come Jesus could do what he did? He knew the Father loved him. Actually, if you read John chapter 11, you actually see when Jesus, before he went to go uh, raise Lazarus from the dead, it says some servants went to Jesus and said, hey, your, your friend Lazarus is sick. 
What did Jesus do before he went there? He dwelled for two, three, three days. He stayed where he was. And do you know where he was? He was at the place where he got baptized, where the father said, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. He dwelled there, it says, for three days. Why? Because, I mean, this is, he, also, he almost just got killed coming out of that area. So he went back to the place where he first heard the father say, in you, you are my son and you, I'm well pleased. He remained in that place. He dwelt in that place. And that's why he could effectively carry out what God called him to do because he knew he was loved by God. God's called you to start a business. Oh, I'm going to do that. My foundation is God loves me. God wants me to go and you know, start a ministry. Do that. God loves me. This is my foundation. So I'm unwavering in it. I'm not looking for how much money I got in the bank or how many people are going to be a part of this. God loves me. What if everybody else hates you? God, well, there may be a problem with you, but God <laughs> loves me. <laughs> so as I said, what do I do hearing all this marvelous love? I'm going to continually let his love nourish my heart. So I'll show you a few more verses, and then I'll be done here. John 16, 27. I want you to see these. It says, the Father himself. Okay, say it with me. The Father himself loves you dearly. Why? Because of all the work you do? Because of all the people you try to reach at work? No, that's, that's great. I do that because I'm loved. But notice this. He loves you because you believe that Jesus came from God. <laughs> Did you do anything? No, you just simply believed that Jesus came from God. And what, is the, what does the Father say? I love you dearly. Next verse I want to show you is John 17, 23. This is right in the middle of Jesus' prayer. I'd encourage you to read it just to get the full scope of what he's saying. But Jesus said in a couple of verses prior to this, he says, Father, I'm not just praying for my 11 disciples are here because the 12th one left. The 11 here, he's, I'm also praying for those who will hear my message from their lips. I'm praying for them also. And he says that you live fully in me and now I live fully in them. So that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me for they will see that you love each one with the same passionate love that you have for me. Okay, how much does the Father love Jesus? I mean, if you could just kind of measure, let's just pretend like from the ground you're sitting on to about, let's just say, this is like, this is a lot. This is, as far as we know, this is a lot. Can we just put up a little dimension? Everybody just kind of put up your hand. Where you think God loves the Jesus. Okay, right here. Now it says, Father, you love them, me, you, with the same passionate love you have for them. So how much does the Father love you? The exact same. Not more, not less. I am on par with Jesus. Do you believe that? Is there anything that God would withhold from, the, from Jesus? Why? <laughs> well, he's Jesus. That's the only times you've heard that. Well, it's Jesus. Yeah, you're you. And God created you in his image. And he saved you, so he puts you in Christ. So when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Therefore, you and I are with Jesus on the exact same level. <laughs> That'll make religious people ticked off. It's Jesus, yeah, but he made you. That is, it, it's not even our word for it. This is, this is the Bible. Now look at the next verse in Ephesians chapter 1. Just to, again, hit the nail on the head here. It says, For it was always in his, in God's perfect plan, to adopt us as his delightful children. Always his perfect plan. He says, Through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify His grace. For the same love He has for His beloved one, Jesus, He has for... Oh, did you just miss that? He has the same, the same love that He has for the beloved one, Jesus. He has for who? Us. And this is unfolding plan brings Him great pleasure. The fact that God loves you just as much as Jesus gives God great pleasure. Again, maybe you've heard this, but I want to just remind you of this again. 
Is there anything that God would do for you? No. Why? If he gave you Jesus, he'd give you anything. He bankrupt heaven to get you back. Is there anything that he's withholding from us? No. Okay, last verse I want to show you is this. Zephaniah chapter 317. It says this. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. Other translations say a mighty warrior. Now he says he will take delight in you with gladness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he looks at you and he actually likes you? Because here's the thing, like that, that, that Hebrew word for delight, you actually see that. I think it's Psalm 67, where it says, uh, the psalmist says, Oh Lord, bless us. Let your face continually radiate or shine upon us. Now that word radiate and delight are very similar. And what that point is, is the same way. So when I hold up my little son, Brooks, who's almost one. I mean, he's so cute. You saw him up here today. But you hold him up. I don't just go, good to see you, Brooks. Have a great day. And then I walk away. When I hold him up, what am I doing? Brooksy, Brooksy, Brew. Hi, Brooksy, Brooksy, Brew. Brooksy, I love you. Brooksy, 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 Just trying to get a smile. I love you so much. That same word. This is what God, he says, he takes the light in you with gladness. This is what he does. So he looks and he goes, Marlene, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. Sometimes we have such a different view of God because of maybe your own fathers or whatever you may have had that they're kind of at a, well, I know he loves me because he loves me through Jesus. I know all that. But God also has a very playful side to him. He's a father. He loves it. And remember, again, Jesus is, if God were to speak a message today, it would be called Jesus. That's He only has one message, and that's the message that will continue on. It's Jesus. So you can see the perfect will of God in seeing Jesus. What did Jesus do when parents saw him and they wanted to get the kids to go over to him? They try to run over. The disciples, man, stop it. Can't you see that God, Jesus is busy? He don't got time for all you guys. What did Jesus do? He says he actually scolded them. He got mad at them and said, get away. Let the children come. Let them come. So those kids coming, running up to him. Kids like Jesus. They love him. Why? Because he's not just this God who's so distant. And oh yeah, well, come to me. Make sure you do it properly. Make sure you say all those things. No, no, no. Stay at a distance. No, no, no. You stink. Stay at a distance. No, 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 you didn't change it. Stay at a distance. What do you want? Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll figure something out. I'll, I'll get somebody to work on that for you. Some angel that's left over. Yeah, we'll figure that out. No, he will delight in you with gladness. Hey, how are you doing? So good to see you. Good, you, good, you, good, you, good, you, good, you, good. That's what the Hebrew word literally brings out. It's just this endearment, this excitement. When he looks at you, he lights up. Do you believe that? Man, it changes. He says, with his love now, what will he do? He'll calm all fear. Everybody take a deep breath. You can just release whatever it is. His love for you, the purpose of it is to calm you from all fear. I don't have to be scared about what they're going to do. I have nothing to be scared about the new mandates, rules, or lack thereof that they're going to change or do. Why? He loves me. Everybody, just take another deep breath for a second again. I don't need to worry about that disease, that bad report that came my way. Why? He loves me. Oh, I got, a, I got an unexpected bill that came my way. They said I only got, I, they're going to fire me at the end of March. He loves me. My wife and I are going through some problems. He loves me. Calm. And then last one, not as calming, says he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. So when you wake up in the morning, guess what the first song going out is? Him singing about you. That's what he does. This is who he is. This is not me just trying to hype it up. This is what literally what our father does. When you, when you wake up in the morning, his thought is, good morning. Good to see you. Gucci, Gucci, Goo. How are you today? And it just let the whole relationship start. And this is what Jesus is telling us. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. 
Why? Because again, how Ephesians 5.1, I don't have that on the screen, but I'm closing with this. He says, be imitators, therefore, as dear children. Imitate God as dear children. Whatever, he, whatever I see him do, I do. I cannot properly, effectively love someone, let alone myself, if I don't see first how much God loves me. We're spending so much time looking and beholding at all the situations and all the problems, and the Spirit of God is trying to get our attention. Look, look here, look here, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love. How deep are you? Because I know for myself, this has been a prayer of my heart. God, I want to be deeper in you, deeper in relationship, deeper in understanding of your ways. God, I want deeper. And the first thing that he showed me is love. Love. And you read in 1 John chapter 4, all in there, he who dwells in love dwells in God. This is God's attitude. This is how he operates. This is how he moves. This is how he thinks. Outside of time, this is, it's just love that's out there. And it's perfect, it's beautiful, it's, it's tight. <laughs> so what do we got to do? It has got to let this heavenly culture absolutely take over the way I see life. Let him love you. Let him, let, let him show you his love. Let it continually grow and build up on the inside of you. You know, it, he needs you to let him love you. And part of what's holding people back is, again, shame. What I didn't do, I should have been a better person. I should Forget all that. Let him love you right where you're at today and watch it radically change the way you live this life tomorrow. It, it will, because the word gives us the guarantee. Amen? I'll just pray and you can come up. Father, we just love you so much. You know, Father, you said in your word that we love you because you first loved us. So, Jesus, I just ask you that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that understand the depth and wonder of your marvelous love. Father, open up our eyes to see it because we know that you are moved by love in everything that you do. You don't respond out of hatred, out of anger, out of boasting or pride. Father, you do everything out of love. So, Father, we're asking you, show us. Can you just say that with me? Show me. Lord, show me. I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to experience it. In Jesus' name.